0: Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Today's message is entitled, Jesus Among the Lampstand, and it's the beginning of a three-week series where we look at three portraits of Jesus from the book of Revelation. These portraits are meaningful to all Christians in all times, but especially times of distress, revealing and reminding us that Jesus is our protector-priest, the worthy lamb, and finally the warrior-king, our champion. Eugene Peterson from his book, Uh, entitled Reverse Thunder on Revelation, poses this question. If Christ is removed, what do we have left? These words are true of all of life. If you remove Jesus, what do you have left? The answer is not much. Jesus is the source of hope, he's the source of life, and he's the source of creation. Without him, we don't just live in a hopeless world. We have no world at all. But what if we just took Jesus out of the Bible? What happens when you take him out? Well, it becomes a lifeless book, no different from any of the other religious books of the world. Without Jesus, it cannot give life. Without Jesus, the Bible cannot promise hope. Without Jesus, the Bible offers no redemption. So today we're beginning a three-week series on the book of Revelation. This is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and I find Revelation to be electrically charged with hope and strength for every Christian... It has the strength that we need to face whatever this world can throw at us, but only if we leave Jesus in the book of Revelation. Perhaps you have found Revelation to be a difficult book or a scary book. This happens when we read it with the wrong center. Many people read Revelation to understand the future. But Revelation is best read in light of its very first verse. And I'll read it for you right now. It's from Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And I want to read that verse again, but now in a different translation, the English standard. In fact, almost any other translation than the NIV will read like this The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. I want to draw your attention to that first phrase, the revelation from or of Jesus Christ. Most translations uh, use the word of, and to be fair, the Greek behind that English word of can be read both ways, the revelation from Jesus and the revelation of Jesus. But do you hear what's being proclaimed to us? This revelation is of Jesus From Jesus. Jesus is telling us that what Jesus, he's telling us what must take place, but he does so through revealing himself. This I find to be the most edifying way to read the book of Revelation. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be reading three key portraits of Jesus in the book of Revelation. These pictures give us a new dimension into the majesty, glory, and power of Jesus. We need these pictures. We need a big Jesus. Whether we see the end times, whether we live to see the end times or not, we will all face hard times, and each of us will face our own end And and our own death. And in those moments, the moments that are heaviest, the moments that shake us to our very core, we need to be able to fall under the mighty Jesus who is our protector, priest, worthy lamb, and mighty warrior. You know, many people, they read Revelation as a predictive book about the future. And it certainly does tell us about the future, about future events that haven't happened yet, however, we do ourselves a disservice when we read this book primarily as a roadmap to the future. To read Revelation as primarily prediction is to walk dangerously close to declaring that it's only useful to those who find themselves in the time that it describes. You might rightly say that we live in the last days. We probably are, but we've also been in these last days for nearly 2,000 years. Revelation is predictive of the future. But the future is not its main message. Jesus is the center. He's the main message. And if we take Jesus out of the book of Revelation, we are left with a book that's not something to be all that excited about. In the book of Revelation, the future is the setting of the message. And this setting is essential. But understanding the end times presents us with a seriousness and an intensity that is necessary for rejoicing in the unconquerable Christ. If you've ever struggled with the book of Revelation, and you just sort of put it off as more than you wanted to deal with, please hear this, God's word is for you. You need to hear this, God's word is for you. All of God's word is for you. The parts you love the most are for you. The parts you find most difficult, they're for you. All of it is a gift for you. Do not miss out on receiving God's word. You know, I became a Christian at age 17, and a few weeks after surrendering my life to Jesus, my youth pastor, he invited me to uh, join a class with other teens on how to establish discipleship practices that will help a person grow in their faith. And there was an emphasis on prayer and Bible reading and accountability, and we had to journal about all these practices, and, and the Bible reading part captured my attention. As a new Christian, the Bible was far more vibrant and captivating than I ever understood before I became a Christian and one of the first passages I was asked to read and study was from 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. It says all scripture is god-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the foundation for how we are to approach the bible. 2 Timothy tells us that we are we are That all of God's word is given to us, that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Beware of those who would read the Bible, uh, but do their best in their growing of knowledge of the word. They don't equip. They tickle your interest instead of preparing you to walk in this world and to walk with Jesus. And this can happen with the book of Revelation. Some people read it to simply tickle their interest about the future. But when they do that, sometimes the message instills fear and confusion. And and this should not be, because the Word of God is for all of us, whether we're in the end times or not. When you open it and read it, the Word speaks, and the Holy Spirit speaks into your mind and into your heart have spoken to you is truth, information that is true, but also the truth himself, Jesus, speaks to you. Each time we open the Bible, truth is unleashed and speaks into our hearts the testimony of the redemptive power of Jesus. Every piece of this book is for you. It is relevant, current, fortifying, and life-giving. As such, no part of the Bible is saved for some time later. It's for you now and speaks truth to you now. Now, this is not to say that reading the Bible is always easy. The Bible is rich and deep, and at times it's very challenging. Sometimes it takes more prayer to understand it. Sometimes it takes more study to understand it. Sometimes we need to get some help of gifted men and women to help instruct us as we grow in our understanding of the Word. But it still remains that all of this book is for us right now. All of this book was for my grandparents even though they never lived to see Revelation come to completion. All this book was for, you could say, John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, and and those frontier settlers who carried his book, Pilgrim's Progress, and the Bible with them as they settled the uh, frontiers of our nation. The whole Bible was for them, even though they didn't see the end come to pass yet. All this book was for George Fox and the early Quakers back in the 1600s. This book was for Martin Luther and John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli and the rest of the Reformers. This book was for Thomas Aquinas back in the 1200s. This book was for the early church fathers like Augustine and Athanasius and Irenaeus and, yeah, Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of John, the Apostle John, the guy who was called to write down the book of Revelation. Oh, and if you're wondering, Polycarp was the leader of the church in Smyrna. Yeah, the Smyrna, the church in Smyrna that was mentioned in the book of Revelation. This book was for them. This book was given to a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us, and maybe they didn't see Revelation come to completion in their lifetime. This Bible, every part of it, is given to everyone who would read. It's given to all believers, There are no parts of this book that are locked away from us because we're not in the last days yet or or because we don't understand the last days, even though we may be in them. So yeah, read the book of Revelation to understand the last days, but never forget the book of Revelation speaks of much more than just end times. This little book at the end of the Bible is full of incredibly powerful teachings on perseverance and allegiance and preparedness and faith and heaven and hell and judgment and eternity. And it teaches about how to live the Christian life under the pressure of persecution. And most importantly, and that's why we're doing this series, is the book of Revelation is about Jesus and his church through the pages of this book we encounter some of the most important portraits of Jesus that we can read so let's turn to that first portrait that's the portrait of Jesus the protective priest as we read these portraits i want to i want you to keep in your idea in your mind these ideas that this revealing of Jesus is to encourage us and to equip us for whatever lies ahead in life. These pictures display the authority and the glory and the worthiness of Jesus and the fierceness of Jesus. An honest reading of these texts should leave us a little shaken, but also encouraged and, yeah, on our guard. And when we read them, we should be able at the end, just simply speak the word, Holy, how wonderful is Christ, because the holiness of Christ is revealed. And so now that we've gone for so long in this sermon, we're going to finally read Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through 20. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one, was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining all its brilliance and when i saw him i fell at his feet as though dead then he placed his right hand on me and said do not be afraid i am the first and the last i am the living one i was dead and now look i'm alive forever and ever i hold the keys of death and hades Write therefore what you have seen what is now what is now and what will take place later the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Quite a powerful text. See, John, the apostle, he's on. He's in exile on the island of Patmos. He finds himself under pressure. The Romans don't like this King Jesus and that so many people are beginning to follow him. John is uncertain of what's going to happen in the future. He's not sure if he's going to get out of exile. And he's likely wondering if this is the end of his ministry and what all this has been for. And then on the Sabbath day, God sweeps John up and reveals what is to come. And what a picture we get a voice like a trumpet lamp stands. One like the Son of Man. White hair, golden sashes, fiery eyes. A voice like rushing waters, a glowing face. What's John going to make of this? What are we to think of this? And John's reaction is very revealing. As he, he writes and he says, He fell at his feet as though dead. This is no lightweight Jesus. This is Jesus full of power and all of his glory. This is Jesus as our protective priest. The picture is, is overwhelming all the details so many to capture where do we begin well, here's the first thought for you to walk away with today from this passage is we need to rest in the divine power of Jesus. Most of the imagery in this text is about the divine power of Jesus. The details speak of the of Jesus' power and divinity. There's all the various descriptions of his voice, like a trumpet, like rushing waters, even as a double-edged sword. And throughout the Old Testament, there are descriptions of the voice of God and and. The, the people of God would have been familiar with this. They'd be hearing the voice of Jesus, reading this description of the voice of Jesus. They'd be saying to themselves, Wait a minute. He's not just the Son of God, He is God. Because they'd be thinking of passages like Ezekiel 43, verse 2, where we read this. It says, I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the, the east, and His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with His glory. The detail of the voice is telling us of Jesus' divinity, that he is God. And then we have that phrase, one like the Son of Man. This is something that all of Israel was looking for. They were looking for the Son of Man. and, And Jesus, as he walked in his earthly ministry, said, I am the Son of Man. But that comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It says this, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming on the Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he was given, I want you to hear this, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is divine power given to the Son of Man. Then there's that detail, hair like white wool. That's another description of Jesus, right? Because we read it in Revelation, but it's a description of God. We just talked about the one like the Son of Man, but right in the same chapter, just a few verses earlier, we have the Ancient of Days, a picture of God, and it reads like this. Daniel 7, verses 9-10, through As I looked... Thrones are set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. We'll read about a throne in, in next week in uh, Revelation chapter uh, 5 and 6. It says, The Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was as white as snow, and the hair on his head was like white wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels ablaze. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. What a powerful picture of God. And Jesus is given some of the same descriptors in our text today. We are told of Jesus' divinity in this description. And then there's a couple other pieces I want you to pick up on the description of Jesus. It says he has eyes blazing with fire, feet like glowing bronze, face like the brilliant shining sun. In the book of Ezekiel, there's a description of God and fire and glowing metal. And they're all used to describe him. So says Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 27. It says, I saw that from, from what appeared to be from his waist up, he glowed like metal he was like glowing metal, and, and it was full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. The, the description of God, is, is, is the Father, is the same as the description of the Son here in Revelation. And then there's the words of Jesus. He says, I am the first and the last. Up until this moment in the Bible, the title... Uh, of first and last. The title of Alpha and Omega has been reserved for the Father, but in this moment, Jesus lets us in and he says, you know who I am? I am the first and the last. I am the Father, and I am the Son. I am the Holy Spirit. They are all three God. Jesus is letting us know who he is, his divinity. We should feel overwhelmed at the majesty and divinity of Jesus in this passage. There's, there's no denying here that he is God. We need to fix our minds on this, because life throws us all kinds of curveballs, all kinds of, of uh, moments and, and struggles and things of wonder that feel more powerful than we would like, and that we might think that they are more powerful than the Jesus we follow, but they're not. He is divine. He is God. Nothing that happens in our lives is bigger than Jesus. He can handle it and carry us through into all of eternity. Second thing I just bring from this passage is that we need to have confidence in Jesus' authority over our days. All of our days, really. Every day that it's in existence, Jesus has authority over them. There's not a moment of history that Jesus is not in charge of. As Jesus describes himself, he tells us he's first and last. He's the master of time and of existence. And then he says this about, him, this about himself in verse 18. He says, I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus does not just say that he is the first and last Lord of all time. He reminds us that he has redemptive authority, authority over all time. He died, and he has risen forever. He is the redeemer of anyone who would believe in him and call him Lord. He holds the keys over death and Hades. What's Jesus getting at here? Jesus is reminding us of his authority. Life and redemption are in his hands. Life and redemption are not in our hands. They're not in the hands of circumstances and they're not in the hands of our enemies. Now, our hands may disrupt life here on earth, persecutors can stop life here on earth, illness can end life here on earth, but none of these hold the true keys of death. Only Jesus does. No earthly victory of the enemies of God are any sort of victory at all for those who put their trust in Jesus. Our confidence in the authority of Jesus over our days should give us strength to face the day no matter what it brings. The third and final thing I'd bring up is that we must never forget that Jesus remains with us at all times as our protective high priest. The passage tells us that one like the Son of Man is walking among the lampstands. Jesus is walking among the lampstands. Any Jewish person would understand this picture. They are familiar with the picture of the lamp in God's temple, the menorah, the stand with seven lamps on it. The priests were tasked with tending to this lamp and to keep it burning all day, every day, never ceasing to give off its light. For the Jewish people, this lamp now represented them as God's people. And now we have a picture in Revelation of seven lamps and Jesus dressed like a priest walking among these lamps. And we're told that these seven lamps are the seven churches. They are the church. Just as the menorah represented the Jewish people, these lamps represent the church. And Jesus stays among the lamps, tending them, keeping them, watching and ministering. He is our protective high priest. The world may give up on the church. You may have a family member who's given up on the church. You may may give up on the church at times, but Jesus never gives up on the church. He walks among us. He tends us. He ministers to us. Even when we've given up on ourselves, even at our worst, he does not give up on us. And he's not given up on you. Will you find your rest today in this powerful picture of Jesus? That he is not giving up on you no matter where you're at in life? We'd be willing to cry out glory, honor, and praise to Jesus. I'm reminded of Psalm 80, where the people of Israel are crying out for redemption. And they make this statement over and over in Psalm 80. They say, Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. And here we have in the book of Revelation, A picture of Jesus, the protective priest who redeems us, restores us. He's the one who is dead and then risen. He has conquered death. He holds the keys of death. And what's part of the description? His face was shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. The very thing that the people of Israel were crying out for. This is how we'll know we'll be saved. We'll see your face shine upon us. Well, we have our Redeemer, our Savior, one like the Son of Man, whose face shines like the brilliance of the sun. Will you put your trust in him? Will you be able to rest in him? Let us pray. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Help us to see him all the more clearly as our divine high priest who is among us, protecting us, watching over us. Lord, don't ever let us leave Jesus out and try to take him out of life. He needs to be the center of all that we are and all that we do. Thank you for Jesus, that Jesus has the true and final authority over all of our days. Help us to stand with confidence under your divine authority and care. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.